We turn for our scripture reading to the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, and the last chapter of the last book, Revelation chapter 22. And we read this chapter together. Really the the climax of the whole uh, book of Revelation and the climax really of the whole Bible. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. The angel said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. Behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I had heard and seen them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had been showing them to me. But he said to me, do not do it. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers, the prophets, and of all who keep the words of this book. Worship God. Then he told me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, because the time is near. Let him who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let him who is vile continue to be vile. Let him who does right continue to do right. And let him who is holy continue to be holy. Behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life, and may go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and offspring of David and the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him who hears say, Come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come, and whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds anything to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes words away from this book of prophecy, God will take away from him his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, 
Yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. What's the quickest way to start an argument among Christians? Well, there's so many possibilities. I suppose you can uh, have a list of your own, and it's maybe not a short list. But perhaps one of the quickest ways uh, to start an argument among Christians, to set them uh, one against the other, is to raise the subject of the Lord's return. What do you think about the second coming? And in many gatherings of Christians, that will really set the proverbial cat among the pigeons. And yet that's a sad thing. And it shouldn't be the case. The Bible's teaching about the return of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, is given not to fuel argument, but to encourage and to strengthen the Lord's people. Knowing the certainty of the Lord's return, that he is coming back again, ought to lift the hearts of believers. This is the culmination of our Christian hope. This ultimately is what we are looking forward to. And that should delight us. It's not something uh, that should cause dispute and anger. It should encourage. And that's very evident in the book of Revelation. Because the book of Revelation was not given to be a puzzle for Christians. Come up with all sorts of fanciful ideas, supposedly pulled out of this book. Revelation was written not to mystify the Lord's people, but to encourage them in the face of persecution. Revelation is a book for persecuted Christians. And it's given to strengthen them and to encourage them. And the whole structure of the book of Revelation, we don't have time to, uh, to, to think about it uh, this morning, but the whole structure of the book is a number of times uh, it traces the history of God's plan of salvation. And each time it comes closer and closer to the final events and the return of Christ. And eventually it reaches the resurrection, the judgment, all that will take place when Christ returns. He will come back again. And he will bring the plan of God to a glorious fulfillment. And the whole book builds towards a climax in the final chapter that we read earlier. I want to look at some of the verses that we read in Revelation 22. And they're focusing particularly on verses 12 to 17. Behold, I am coming soon. Behold, I am coming soon. What do these verses have to say to the Lord's people? Because they're addressed primarily to those who profess faith in the Lord. To believers who perhaps are under pressure, and even in our own society, perhaps under increasing pressure on the public expression of our faith and our principles. The Lord says, 
In Revelation 22 from verse 12, Behold, I am coming soon. We see a number of things in these great verses. First of all, we see return promised. Return promised. Here, verse 12, we have a powerful assurance to the Lord's people who are living under pressure. And that pressure has been described in the book of Revelation in very dramatic ways. The references to the beasts and the false prophets and so forth, spiritual warfare. Christians under pressure, facing persecution. And the Lord comes and graciously and lovingly says to his people, Behold, I am coming soon. I'm coming quickly, but it has that sense of soon, it's near. Because the next significant event in God's calendar will be the return of his son. Now we know that all events in the entire universe are in God's calendar. They're decreed by a sovereign God, but there are certain key points in the unfolding of his plan. The birth of his son, the incarnation, his crucifixion and resurrection. That, as it were, was the last great event on the divine calendar, the resurrection of Christ and the pouring out of the Spirit at Pentecost. And the next great event on God's calendar will be the return of the Lord Jesus, the end of the history of this present world. And of course, that's in fulfillment of the Lord's own promise. This is the Christ who says in John 14, verse 3, I will come back and take you to be with me. The Lord has promised to return. And this is a vital element in the gospel. If you look in the book of Acts at the preaching of the gospel, they proclaimed Christ crucified and risen and returning. Now, perhaps in our witness, we tend to avoid the subject of the Lord's return. And we think, well, that may be something we can leave till later or should leave till later. And yet the apostles preached constantly, the Lord is coming back. It is part of the basic gospel message. They weren't embarrassed about it at all. And it should be part of the preaching of Christ's church in all ages. He is coming soon. The Lord will return. And he tells us the purpose of that return, or at least one of the purposes of his return here. My reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. Now, for the unsaved, that's a fearful prospect. The Lord will certainly pay back to the unsaved what their sin deserves. But that's not the focus of this verse. Rather, it's the reward that Christ will give to his people. That's the chief concern of what is said here. He will reward his people. And that's a joyful prospect for the Christian. And yet we always have to keep in mind that 
the reward is not something we deserve. It is not something we earn by how faithful or how holy we are. We never deserve a reward. If we work our entire lives for the Lord's glory, we've only done what we should have done. We've only given the Lord what we owed him. He's never in our debt. And yet, in his love and his grace, he does reward faithful service. The works that we do, though we owe them to the Lord, he will reward them. That's how much he loves us. That's a very precious truth for the Christian. And look at the titles uh, that the Lord Jesus uses here of himself. Because, you know, we've often said it, that titles and names in the Bible uh, are, are significant. that They matter. Uh, and so it is here. Look at how the Lord Jesus describes himself. I am the Alpha and the Omega. Now it's the first and the last letters of the Greek alphabet. And he spells it out, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And those are the titles of God himself. You go back to chapter 1 and you find, I am the Alpha and the Omega on the lips of God. And of course what it's underlining for us here is Jesus is God. Our Savior is fully God. He speaks with divine authority. The first and the last. It's a statement of divine sovereignty. One uh, commentator in this passage uh, says it's a powerful assertion that he stands sovereign at history's dawn and at its sunset. He stands sovereign at history's dawn. He's the Alpha. And at sunset, he's the Omega. It is all in his hands. It's a statement of his sovereignty. There is no possibility that the purpose of the Lord will fail. And that's a great assurance for Christians, especially when they're under pressure and struggling and maybe starting to ask themselves, is it worth it? Can I keep going? What's going to happen? The reminder that the past and the future are equally in the Lord's hands and he will work out his purpose in every detail. Hold on to that, to reassurance we often need. Return promised. The sovereign Lord, the Alpha and the Omega is coming back and he will reward his faithful people. Return promised. Secondly, we see robes washed. Robes washed. The returning Lord promises a blessing. There are a number of blesseds Uh, in the book of Revelation 7 uh, in total. Uh, And here is the last one of them. Addressed to certain people. Now this is not addressed to everybody. Blessed are those who wash their robes. Who are these people? What are they doing? What is this washing of the robes? 
Well, we find our answer if we go back in the book of Revelation, back to chapter 7. There in verse 14 we read, They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. It's a striking picture. Of course, literally, you don't make something white by washing it in blood, but spiritually you do. The souls of sinners are made white. They are washed in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a very powerful way of describing salvation. This is the way of salvation provided by a gracious God. It is through Christ the Lamb. He is the one who has shed his blood to pay for the sins of sinners like you and me, to provide salvation for us freely, graciously, something we could never deserve. And the Lord provides it. It's the blood of the Lamb. It's the blood of the Savior. When we trust in him, that cleanses us and takes away our sin. Even back in chapter 19 and verse 8, we are told that the, the, the clean linen that God's people wear are the righteous acts of the saints. And we think, is it as an achievement? Is it that they have worked hard enough and been righteous enough? No, the garments are given to them given by God and his love and his grace. It's all of grace. That is how we wash our robes. We trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. So we're cleansed. Our sins are forgiven. We have tremendous privileges. John mentions them. The Lord through John mentions them. We have a right to the tree of life. Of course, our minds go back immediately to the Garden of Eden, the tree of life. Adam and Eve were thrown out of the garden so that they wouldn't eat from the tree of life. It's closed off from us. We can't go to the tree of life because we're sinners. But now the Lord says, when your sins are forgiven, when you're cleansed, you have a right to the tree of life. The tree is still there. We can't get to it unless we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. But when we do, the way to the tree of life is open. Life in fellowship with the Lord, because that's the life Jesus gives us. Life as you and I were made to live it. Life in its fullness, as Jesus puts it in John 10. The tree of life is there for the Lord's people. Life in its fullness. Life in fellowship with God. We have a right to the tree of life. We may go through the gates into the city. And it's the same idea. We're in the city. We're not outside. We'll be thinking in a moment of those who are outside. But the believer in the Lord Jesus goes right into the city. And there with all of the Lord's people we have fellowship with the Lord because that is where he is. We're no longer outside. We are in the city. We're eating from the tree of life. Our robes are washed 
and they're clean. And it's all because of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. All of grace. And now we're in the city, the place of fellowship with God, the place of security and blessing. The ancient world especially, where was the safe place? It was in the city, behind the walls with the gates closed. And there's security, and there's blessing, and there's fellowship for the Christian. He was part of the city of God, of Zion that we were singing about in Psalm 102. Not outside, but in the city, with the tree of life, with the Lord himself who's washed our sins away. Robes washed. Are your robes washed in the blood of the Lamb? Do you have a share in these things through faith in the Lord Jesus? That they're not simply things you read about in the pages of a Bible, but they're real to you. They're part of your life because you've trusted in Christ and your robes now are clean. Your sins are gone because you've trusted in the Lamb of God. Return promised. Robes washed. But thirdly, we think of exclusion. Chosen. Exclusion chosen. That may seem an odd way to put it, but I trust we'll see that that is the case. We're talking about the city, the New Jerusalem. That's how it's put the beginning of Revelation 21. The home of the Lord's people. The city where the tree of life is. The New Jerusalem. Not an earthly city. The heavenly spiritual city. And God's people go in and they're safe and secure with the Lord. But not everybody is in the city. Not everybody is in the city. And the Bible never for a moment endorses what's called universalism. The idea that everybody eventually will be saved regardless of what they do or what they believe. The idea that some have God is too nice to leave anybody outside. God's too gentle and loving to exclude anybody. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible warns us constantly there are those who will not be saved. And so we are told in verse 15 of those who are outside the city, excluded from the fellowship with God we've been describing, excluded from his people. They're outside the city and they're not waiting for admission. They're not in a queue to get into the city. They're not in the city and they don't want to be in the city. They're outside. And that is where they will spend eternity unless they are transformed. These are the people to whom the Lord at the last judgment will say, as he does in Matthew 25, I never knew you. 
I never knew you. And there are people to whom the Lord will say that. I never knew you. And they will be outside the city. And we have a graphic description of these people. Outside are the dogs. Well, perhaps for some of us we balk uh, at that description if our view of dogs is somewhat different from that of those in biblical times. But of course it's the wild, feral dogs, the scavengers, uh, the dangerous dogs that are in view. And that is how the Lord describes the unsaved, unclean, vicious creatures. And then particular categories are listed. Those who practice magic arts. Exactly the word that gives us pharmacy and pharmacists. Because often drugs were used in magic rituals in the ancient world. Uh, We're not suggesting we could translate it as outside of the pharmacists. But those who supply the drugs for the magic, for the sorcery, for the evil associated with magic, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, all different expressions of fallen human nature. And everybody's in there somewhere, if you're without Christ. And it's out of the heart that these things come. Because that is the issue. It's not simply certain actions. It's deeper than that. It's the heart. What is your heart like? Jesus says in Mark 7, 21, Out of men's hearts come all the forms of evil. The kind of person you are that then is expressed in what you do. And these things are freely chosen. That's why our heading for this point is exclusion chosen. Everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Uh, It's particularly, I think, the idea of hypocrisy uh, that's in view. The pretend Christian. You might fool others, but they don't fool the Lord. But it's a reminder that these sins are chosen. They're not forced on those who commit them. They're expressions of their sinful heart. They sin because they're sinners. But they don't sin because somebody else makes them. They'll not be able to say at the last day, well, the devil made me do it. And so get themselves off the hook. Their sins are chosen as an expression of their own sinful hearts. And so those who are left outside the city ultimately choose to be there. We need to understand that. The truth is that the unsaved, when Christ comes back again, will get what they want they'll get what they want. They've wanted to live without the Lord. And that's the eternity they will get without the Lord. 
Now, when they understand what that means and what eternity without the Lord really is, they will cry out for mercy when it's too late and they'll be outside the city. They choose to be excluded, however terrible that turns out to be. And it will be terrible. But exclusion is chosen. The unsaved will get what they wanted. They'll get it in all its fullness. And they'll spend eternity outside the city. Outside the fellowship of God's people. Outside the love and the mercy of God. It's a solemn truth. It's a truth we have to reckon with. Make sure that you will not spend eternity outside the city. Excluded from the Lord's presence. Again today you have an opportunity here. To come to the Lord and be washed and cleansed. He's given you another opportunity today. You don't need to spend eternity outside the city. Unless you choose to be there. In rejecting Christ. Do not do it. Do not do it. Exclusion chosen. But then further we see in these verses testimony provided. Testimony provided. Because surely these things are so important people need to hear about them. People need to hear about the return of Christ. They need to hear about how to be right with God and be washed. They need to hear about the consequences of living and dying without the Lord. And the Lord has not left the world in ignorance about these matters. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. And the testimony is the book of Revelation. It's the whole of the Bible. It's the gospel message. The Lord sends this word to the world. He sends it to the church and through the church to the world that needs to hear about these things. These are truths that need to be proclaimed. People need to be told about them. Because here is the only one who's able to give sinners any hope of salvation. And at the center of that testimony is the Lord himself. In the end, it's all about Christ. And look at how he names himself. Again, the names matter. The root and offspring of David. You notice how odd an expression that is. The offspring of David. David's descendant, that's straightforward. But the root of David. The origin of David. How is that possible? Well, of course, we are back to the deity of Christ. This is God who's speaking. And as God, he is the root of David. And as the incarnate Christ, he's the offspring of David. And both of them are true. Here's the wonder of the person of Christ, God and man in one person. 
and in him all the, the promises to David and all the Old Testament promises find their fulfillment. The bright morning star. What's the significance of that? Well, it's rooted way back in Numbers chapter 24. Verse 17, a star will come out of Jacob. And the star is the Messiah. The star comes as a ruler, as a deliverer. And it's Jesus who fulfills that vision, that hope, that promise of a star bringing light and life to people who are dead in their sins. Testimony is about Christ. He's the heart of the gospel. And our responsibility is to receive the testimony that the Lord has provided. To receive it as what it is, the very word of God. And we're to believe its promises. We're to accept its invitations. We're to heed its warnings. Because your attitude to God's word is crucial to your eternal welfare. How you respond to what God says in Scripture, how you respond to the testimony that the Lord gives you here in this book will decide where you spend eternity. Inside the city, in blessedness, life, or outside the city, in your sin and lostness. The testimony's there. You can't say, I didn't know. You can't say, I never heard. If you never heard it before and you never hear it again, you heard it here today. Testimony provided. How gracious the Lord is to make these things known and make them so readily available to us that we can hear them, we can respond to them and enter into the city. Testimony provided. Are you listening to the testimony the Lord has provided? Are you listening to the word about Christ and responding to it and receiving Christ and salvation? Testimony provided. And finally, in the verses we are looking at, we see longing expressed. Longing expressed. Word of verse 17. The Spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. The big question, verse 17, is to whom are these words addressed? There are various possibilities. Are some of the words, for example, the Spirit and the Bride say, Come, are they addressed to the Messiah, to Jesus? Come, Lord. And then the remaining verses are addressed to the thirsty and to sinners to come and trust in Christ. Or could it be that all of the comes are addressed to sinners, that the Spirit and the Bride are calling sinners to Christ? An equally good 
Bible commentators take different views. But I think there are two kinds of coming in these verses. There are two kinds of call. Two calls that express a longing. And the first is a longing that the Lord would come. The come, first of all, is addressed to the Lord. The Spirit and the Bride say, come. Let him who hears say, come. And I believe these calls are addressed to the Lord himself. It's the longing of God's people, fueled by the Holy Spirit. Lord, come. And do you not hear echoes of that in your own heart? The times when you think, oh, that the Lord would come again. Maybe the times when you're struggling. The times when you look around and it seems that the the cause of Christ is declining. And the days are becoming more difficult. Does your heart not cry out, come. Come back, Lord. And complete your work. And if you do, it's the Holy Spirit that's stirring you to do that. Longing that Christ will come as he's promised. That's a mark of grace in your heart. To look forward to the day of Christ's return. Not afraid. Uh, uh, Not as an escape from the present responsibilities. But a longing for the completion of the plan of salvation and the completion of your salvation. Do you not long for that? Do you not say to the Lord, come? It's a longing expressed to the Lord. But I believe also in the rest of the verse, there's a come that's expressed to the unsaved person. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. And it is a call to the spiritually thirsty because you'll have no share in the blessings we've described unless you come to the Lord in faith and repentance. You'll never experience the tree of life. You'll never be in the city unless you come. And you come repenting of your sin and trusting in the Lord Jesus for salvation. Come. And we long for unsaved folk to come. To come and receive Christ and receive salvation. Come. If you haven't done it, come. Salvation is there for you if you will come to Christ. And there's such hope here. Whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. It's there for you. It's not hidden. It's not in some distant place you can't reach. Whoever wishes, come and take the free gift of the water of life. Christ has provided it for sinners. If you're a sinner, you need it. Come to him for life. Come to him for salvation. It's freely available. 
You need not spend eternity outside the city unless you choose to be there. The water of life is freely offered. Come and drink, come and receive it. Come and receive salvation. The come addressed to the Lord and the come addressed to the unsaved so that you will be ready for the coming of the Lord. Behold, I am coming soon. Do you look forward to that coming? Is there a real sense of anticipation in your heart for the return of Christ? Do you long for that day? Not because you think you're good enough to stand before Christ, but because you've trusted in him as your saviour and your robes are washed. May we all, by God's grace and by the Holy Spirit, be able to say, Come, Lord Jesus. We long for you to be here. And he will come. He's promised. And he'll come.